Hi everybody, this is John Forrester with Out of Character. I wanted to talk about a board game that I've had for a while. I've played it a few times with some of my friends, and I thought some people might want to hear what we thought of it. This is not going to be a GM tip or an actual play podcast, I apologize. I do have a, a recording that I have to edit down. We've had some technical difficulties with it. We lost about a half hour of the episode, so I'm just trying to figure out how I can still cut it together in a way that makes sense and everything um and it's just it's taking a lot longer because of that so yeah we had a glitch we gotta work without it but i wanted to get an episode up for this week i'm going to talk about this and it will be fun and we will all enjoy it hopefully uh, i want to talk about the game of thrones board game the second edition based on the game of thrones book series by george r, r. martin if you're not familiar it's also got a very popular hbo series uh, there's comics there's Commemorative coffee mugs, uh, there's patches, there's t-shirts, there's a mill, there's, uh, there's a card game for it now, there's a telltale game, video game for it. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of, uh, opportunities to find out more about Game of Thrones. But Game of Thrones is a world, it's a fantasy setting that takes place on the continent of, mostly the continent of Westeros, where great houses of influence and power compete against one another in games of intrigue, of gathering armies, and of subterfuge in order to control the Iron Throne, which is the throne of the King of the Seven Kingdoms sits upon. At this point, as the books begin, uh, it's a time of upheaval and change, and you guys get to play that out. In the game, this is a very uh, a very strategy-heavy game. It comes from fantasy play. It's one of those games that I think it'll appeal to people who like the series a lot. Um, there's an older edition of the game I haven't played. I've only ever played the second edition because that was what available was available when I when I wanted to try it out because it looked interesting. It is a uh, three to six players, so you do need at least three people to play. It's not something you can, you know, play at home with just you know your boyfriend, girlfriend, what have you. So you do need a couple of people to play it, and that's. So that can be, if you, if you have people readily available, that's great. If you don't always, then that can be kind of a drawback. As far as people who are like, what are the houses? Um, most of the major houses are present in the game, and you can play as them, depending on the number of players that you have available. You have House Stark. Uh, they are the family that dwells far in the north. You have, you know, uh, Ned Stark and Rob Stark and Jon Snow and Catelyn Stark and uh, all those Starks up there. Very uh, honorable, but not perhaps the best to win a game of, you know, dishonor and subterfuge. You have House Greyjoy, who dwell on the Iron Islands. Uh, they are a house that is devoted to uh, martial, you know, sailing and raiding and taking it. They, you know, they're not interested in playing little games back and forth so much as they are proving how great they are and just taking everything that they can get their hands on. They're not a nice house. Uh, they're very, very militarily powerful, but they're not nice people. Uh, you have House Lannister. If you've seen Peter Dinklage play Tyrion Lannister, uh, or any of the other Lannisters that are very prominent in the Game of Thrones show, they dwell on Casterly Rock, they hate Greyjoys, and they're generally out to prove that their house is the best, and they do it by buying lots of things and having all the money. House Martell dwells way far in the south in Dorne. You won't see them in the show for quite a long time. And they are, they're in the game, but it, you have to have a, a, a fair number of players to get them involved. I haven't really ever seen how the, the Martells play, so I don't know how they play, uh, what, what kind of things they can really do. The most players I've had in the game at this point is four. Pet House Tyrell, 
and they are the second richest house in Westeros. They are a house on the rise. They have a lot. They're kind of a very chivalrous and very, uh, you know, courtly love house, I would say. They have the most resources of any of the kingdoms. They basically are like, think of them, I always think of them as like the breadbasket of Westeros. And House Baratheon, of course, King Robert Baratheon, who threw down the Targaryens and took the throne and he's, you know, was king. He's, he claimed the throne for himself and his family, uh, there well in the Stormlands and in King's Landing where the so what are you doing with all these houses? What's the deal? Who's who's doing what to whom? In the game, it's a timed game. The play takes place over ten rounds. At the end of the to win the game, there's two ways the game ends. Either you reach ten rounds, everyone has their time, and at the end of ten rounds, whoever has claimed the most keeps has won the game. Simple enough. At any point, if one player manages to claim seven of those keeps, then you also win the game. So game, so depending on the players and the strategy and how aggressive people are being, the game can proceed for 10 rounds or the game can be very, very quick. I have never, I personally have not seen this game go on for too, too long. We usually make it to the end of 10 rounds. I don't think anyone has managed to get seven in any of our games. Um, the houses we played with are Stark, Greyjoy, Lannister, and Baratheon. Um, we're going to play a bigger game coming up with like five or six players, so we'll get to see a few more of the houses come in. It's an interesting game because there's a lot of strategy to it. I think one of the things that bothers me with it is when I see people playing this game, it's they, they go at it very mechanically. Like, you're supposed to go here and do this on your first turn. Here's your, uh, one of the things I really loved about it when we were playing was we got we very much got into the idea of playing these different houses and kind of doing dialogues between each other and you know, really playing that house. It was, it, that's one of the fun things I think can go on this game. And it's perfectly legal to do that. It even gives you, you know, you can make alliances. You can promise to support a house. Uh, you don't have to follow up on it. There's no downside to lying other than the fact that you just screwed them over and they're probably going to come for you next if they can. So you're probably wondering like, okay, so we've got all these houses and we want to capture things. How do we go about capturing them? Well, at the beginning of the game, you're going to start with a few castles to your name and a small military force of consisting of footmen, knights, and ships. There are also siege engines. Those don't come into the game until later. Uh, you would have to either upgrade or, uh, or gain one of those when you muster more forces. Pretty much what you're going to do is your forces, the, the big mechanic of the game is military combat. Um, there's really, like, no way to buy anyone out of anything. You have order tokens, and in each turn, you're going to give every area where you have each of your little armies a different order. There's raid orders, which allow you to remove certain types of other orders. They're probably the most sneaky, because, like, you can be, you can take away other people's ability to maybe, like, support, consolidate power, or other people's raid orders so they can't raid other things that are adjacent to you. There's marching orders, which are just direct combat. You're marching your units in from one area to another. Sounds easy enough. So you can march them into an unoccupied area. Uh, you know, you can march your troops into Seaguard and take that. There was nobody there. It's ours now. Or march your troops into Lannisport and say, we're taking that. It's ours now. And you know, fight the Lannisters and see how that goes. Um, there's defensive orders, which are, you're just, you know, batten down the hatches, bar the gates, keep the bad guys out, we have to try to live. Um, support orders are very, very sneaky. 
They're the um, Steadfast or the Very Quick and Dirty Alliance cards. Basically, a support order allows you to lend military support to an adjacent area. So if you put a support order down and, you know, your guys at Lannisport get invaded and you have a support order on an adjacent area, you can lend that support to that area to help either, you know, House Greyjoy invade it or to help Lannisters defend it. If someone else has a support order, then you can support either of those sides. Maybe you want the Greyjoys to get rid of the Lannisters. Maybe you want to help the Lannisters keep the Greyjoys out for a bit longer. Uh, you know, or maybe you don't want to lend support to either side. You put that there and that's, you know, you, you don't have to use it. There's also Consolidate Power, which is meant to represent the, you know, basically the collection of resources. The currency in the game is, are these power tokens. You will all start with, uh, five power, with a, a resource of power tokens at the beginning of the game. You all get the same number of power tokens, and you just, that's how you procure, that's the primary way you get them as the game progresses. What do you do with these power tokens? What is the purpose of them? When you leave an area, unless you leave someone behind to hold on to that area, it's abandoned. You can't put anything down to, you know, continue to draw resources from it. Uh, anyone who comes in there, they're just going to take it over, and it's, that's going to be it. It's a, so if you want, you can put a power token down. It doesn't, defend it, they can still march in and just take it, but it at least gives you the ability to go back in and not have to worry about, you know, do we have to retake this, or is some, you know, can we continue to collect on that? Can we continue to have kind of a fallback position that's strong, or do we capture a really good place that we don't need to defend anymore, but we want to continue to like... So that's pretty much how you would go about, like, that's like all the actions and the, the currency, all that good stuff. So you're probably, you're thinking like, okay, so combat is basically, we're going to march our units in and then combat's going to happen. Um, so you have footmen, they're basically one combat strength. Knights are two, ships count for one, and siege engines count for four. The trick with the siege engines is they only count for that when you're attacking an area containing a castle or a stronghold. Otherwise, they count for zero. So they can't defend, they can't retreat, they aren't good again against, like, open land. If you go in, like, anywhere that doesn't have a, ca like, a stronghold or a keep, a castle or a key, a castle or a stronghold, they're useless. They're an openly, just like, violently aggressive piece. But they have so many drawbacks, it's really hard to figure out where to employ them sometimes. There's also the mechanic of the house cards. Uh, every player is gonna get, every house has a set of the cards that are, depicts characters from that house. You know, House Lannister, of course, is gonna have, like, Tyrion Lannister and Cersei and all those good, and all those people. But all, each house has their own deck, and they all play very differently. Um, you know, you have weaker cards with interesting mechanical effects, like force a player to discard a card, or you add power to this card when you're defending. Uh, then you have the much stronger cards that are just basically like, kill everything that moves and burn it to the ground. Um, the house cards are a, are an interesting mechanic, just because they can, they can lend a lot of power, so you just kind of like, do I play my most powerful card immediately and hope to really, you know, just win this and get a decisive victory, or do you hold on to it late for later in the game? The interesting thing with the house cards is, once you play that card, you don't get it back until you played every other card in your hand. Some of the houses uh, get cards that allow you to cycle through very quickly, or even get cards back. Those can be very difficult. Those are the 
the decks that can be kind of tricky to figure out where to put people. Um, and some are just more aggressive. Uh, they're just, you know, some, it, it, it plays very much into what you would expect for a given house. The other, one of the other interesting mechanics of the game is there are three special objects that you are going to have in play in any game, regardless of the number of players. You have these three tokens. Um, there's the Iron Throne, which the cool thing about the Iron Throne is basically you are currently the king of Westeros, or you have the most influence in Westeros. That means that whenever there's a tie for anything except combat, you decide the winner. So people may or may not want to like earn your favor. <laughs> it's funny to be like, you know, there's a tie to decide who's going to, you know, win this bid on this on this item the next time. And it allows you to have some say in what's going on on the board. There's the Valyrian Steel Blade token, which if you are the highest rank on in the fiefdom track, if you bid for that, then you get the Valyrian Steel Blade, which gives you a once per round you can use that and you get a plus one combat strength. The really cool thing is when if there if there's a tie on the feet and in combat, you look on the fiefdom track, and basically the tie is broken by whoever's highest. So if House Lannister is fighting House Tyrell, um, and House Tyrell is higher on the fiefdom track, then House Tyrell will win that encounter. And then lastly, you have the King's Court track, which that gets you the Messenger Raven token, which lets you swap around your... Uh, your, your orders. So you can put down all your orders and they can't see when people are putting down their orders, they're all put down face down so no one knows what's happening until you actually reveal all the orders. Uh, you can say, okay, the Greyjoys are going to attack me here and I can't stop that. I can't defend against that. So I'm going to put in a defense order here instead of consolidate power. Or you can look at the Wildling, the top card on the Wildling deck, which we'll get to the Wildling deck in a second. So as I was talking about, like, there's these different, these different tracks. Um, there's the Iron Throne track, the Fiefdom track, and the King's Court track. At certain points in the game, you're going to be bidding to try and bring your influence up, or, you know, you can completely ignore it if you want to. The Iron Throne is, it's exactly as I described, the Fiefdom track. People generally bid on it just to make it, give them a better chance to win in tied encounters. That's one of the uses for those power tokens, aside from, you know, holding territory. You can, you, you use those to bid. Uh, you bid in secret. Basically, everyone puts a number of tokens into their hand, and then you'll reveal at the same time whoever first gets the highest position, and so on and so forth. The cool thing about the King's Court track, in addition to all the fun of the Messenger Raven, is it gives you special actions. Special actions are just normal orders, but they're more powerful versions of those orders. The more powerful version of the raid order allows you to remove defenses. The, you know, all... Pretty much the rest of them are just plus ones. Like, uh, the defense order special is a, a plus two. The march order is a plus one. The support is a plus one. The consolidate power one allows you to muster a soldier or the other, there's two other things that have to, can happen that can really affect the way the game plays. One of them is you're going to have the Westeros cards come into play. So what are the Westeros cards? Basically, you're going to draw three cards at the start of each round after the first round and they're going to have different effects on them. It's everything from, say, like a supply card that you look at the supply track and you figure out, okay, how many areas do I have that have resources? How can my army get bigger? Does my army get smaller? If you've stretched your, if you've been taking castles and not getting any resources and you're haven't grown your, your supplies at all, you may not be able, you may be able to hold the army you have, but you haven't gotten any more. So you can't grow your army. Well, everyone else's army you know, potentially 
could be growing much bigger soon. Or you could have lost areas of lots of resources in your army, suddenly your troops start dying from starvation. And there's mustering cards, which are basically you, you are rallying soldiers, you're building up your armies, you know, build ships, get extra footmen, upgrade your footmen to knights, that sort of thing. There's cards that will allow you to bid on the influence track. There's some cards that are like nothing happens at this point. There are cards for like the wildlings attacking. There's a lot of different cards with a lot of different effects. The wildlings attacking are interesting because the wildlings uh, who live beyond the wall will be coming down and trying to attack. There's a certain, there's two ways this happens. Basically, any of those Westeros cards, some of them are marked in the, in the wildling track advances. If the wildling track reaches 12, the wildlings attack. If you draw a card that says the wildlings attack, the wildlings attack. That's it. Uh, wherever the dial is on the wildlings track, that's the number of men you need to beat the wildlings. How do you beat the wildlings? Well, you donate power to the wash. So you have, so everyone in secret is going to offer a number of power tokens towards the watch, the knight's watch, to hold the wall. If nobody bids and, you know, and they lose, then everyone suffers an ill effect. If they win, then, you know, different effect. As far as the bidding goes, generally, even if there's a bad effect, if you're the highest bearer, you're, you're going to get a good effect. If you lose and you're the lowest, and you know the lowest bidder, really bad stuff happens. Like you can lose all your god, your all your units, a bunch of your units could be destroyed. You can lose power, you can lose supplies, uh, you just like awful, awful stuff that can cripple you very, very quickly. You don't want to keep losing against the wild though. But yeah, it's a very, it's it's a really interesting game. I keep hearing people say that they played it and it took them like seven or eight hours to play, and I'm like, I, I don't see how. I mean, we've played it a couple times, and as I said, you know, maybe it's because they're playing with like six players, and that just really stretches things out. It takes us usually, I think, like maybe like three or four hours to play a game. I mean, it's a ten-round game, so, you know, you, you it's not like sit down and play for 20 minutes and you're over and, you know, then, then it's over and done with. But it's not something that, like, it's not like Twilight Imperium or, you know, uh, uh, any of those really long, involved games that just take forever to get through. Um, pretty much everything about the game is just, I love the idea of playing these houses and sitting around and there's a big strategy element to it that I find is very much enjoyable. But I think the most fun that we had playing this was just playing as those houses, kind of like role playing, like what would, how would House Greyjoy behave? And it was me, Jade, Sebastian, and Jason. Uh, we played two rounds. I had, I played House Baratheon both times. I had a lot of fun with that. It was fun to be, you know, I had the Iron Throne and be deciding the ties and stuff. I don't think I won either time. I think, uh, memory serves, I think, I think Jade won one game playing House Lannister and Jason won a game as, uh, House Greyjoy. Um, the Greyjoys are really military. Like you, you—they're the house that plays the most militarily aggressive. And it's interesting because, like, you—you you start with almost the identical resources. Like some of the houses get different advantages at the beginning. Um, it's just interesting to see kind of how people play them. Uh, you know, just you, if if you want to play House Tyrell exactly the same way you would play House Lannister, you can give it a try. But it's not really to your advantage. It's going to be very, very different. To, just between those two houses, even just given how close they are on the map, you know, they're both on the on the coast, they both have similar resources available to them, but you wouldn't play them the exact same way. Uh, it's fun to make the little alliances with each other, like, you know, like House Stark and House Greyjoy make a secret alliance, take out the Lannisters, and then you're kind of 
going back and forth, like, how long can we trust the Greyjoys, or are they going to turn around soon and stab us in the back? It's really fun. There are some cool expansions for the game, too. Um, they did two. There's A Feast of Crows, which is a, an expansion for a four-player game. Uh, it's meant to be a quicker play. Um, it adds st- it adds cards, house cards for playing House Aaron. So, remember, so I think you take how I think you take one of the houses out. I think you take out House Greyjoy, whichever. But you take out one of the houses and you play with House Aaron in a four-player game. You aren't trying to capture strongholds in that scenario. You're trying to uh, strongholds or castles in that scenario. You're, you have victory cards. So, like for example, um, House Baratheon I think has to hold King's Landing, and they have to hold uh, Dragonstone. And each turn that you do that, you get a victory point. And you advance on the win- on the victory track. Uh, they each of the houses has different secret victory conditions, and there's different cards come into it. There's also a dance with dragons that is, I believe, a six-player scenario. Don't think that one has any extra stuff or different houses. I think it's just a a different you know way to play and have things start a bit more quickly. Those are for like if you're not into the slower version of the game. With this game, um. The first round, I would say, is usually a little bit less active because there's a lot of houses that are going to spend that turn just positioning themselves around the board and getting to where they need to be in order to, you know, launch their attacks on the next turn and build resources. House Greyjoy is probably going to be the house that's going to attack the most on the first turn. They they start with that Valyrian Steel Blade, and they're old. it's just to your advantage to come out and deal a decisive blow to somebody very, very quickly. Uh, you know, you have the sword for a reason, use it. Um, the expansions are fun. They are print-on-demand. Uh, you probably won't be able to get them in, a, in stores anymore. Uh, if you can, great. Uh, definitely support your local store. They're like $14 a piece. Uh, you can also buy them on Fantasy Flight's website if you want to do that. Fantasy Flight, as always, they make... Every game they make is very, very well-made. Uh, the, the pieces are, are nice. They have these really cool little screens for each of the houses with Great artwork on it. The artwork's fantastic. Um, I used the map of Westeros to play a Game of Thrones board uh, role-playing game on. If you listen to one of the old podcasts, we have a, a Game of Thrones RPG that I made up by myself. Uh, we play, we're playing through a scenario of that. We're going to get back to that eventually. It's a map of Westeros. Uh, there's a lot of things that people say, like, I wish they would do this, I wish they would do that, like, you know, have House Tully or the Targaryens or, um, you know, just various different houses. Uh, you know, incorporated into the game in one way or another. I know someone did, there's a lot of, like, custom expansions that people have done for that, like, to add, make the map bigger, make, uh, you know, add different houses to it. I don't know if I'd want the Targaryens in there. It makes sense to me that the Targaryens aren't in here just because every version of the game, even with the expansions and things, there's really no place to put the Targaryens. You have to completely move the Baratheons because they own Dragonstone at the start of the game. So you'd have to, like, ship them down and add in extra pieces. You could do it um, if you really want to. Uh, there are rules online for doing that if you want to do a, like a custom game. I don't think it's necessary. I, I'm not a big Targaryen fan. Jesus, she really likes the Targaryens, but I've, I've never been that fascinated with them. They're kind of groups. <laughs> Again, awesome game from Fantasy Flight. Very, very fun. If you're looking for something that's uh, it's a strategy game, it's a capture of the territory game, but it's not something that... like There's some of those games that just take way too long to play like uh they're just they're not something that like you're going to sit down and play in a couple in a few short hours you know there's stuff like small world which is camp which is like humorous and fun but maybe you know want something a little more serious 
Uh, you know, maybe if you're playing any of those, if you're really into Game of Thrones or you really like like role playing games, this is going to be a fun one, a, a fun segue into a night of role playing, just because it gives you a chance to kind of get into like what would I have done if I was in, you know, if I was in charge of House Baratheon, I would have gone over here and conquered this region instead of doing all that. So definitely a fun game. I love it. I, I we're going to play it again, as I said, uh, with six players. I keep going back and forth about whether or not to record it. Uh, we, we played it before and I recorded it and I chose to delete that just because I, I don't know how it would play as a podcast. Uh, it's a very, it, there's a lot of visual element to the game and, um, I, I just don't think it would be that interesting to listen to us other than the role play aspect. Like I said, that is going to be it for this week, guys. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this. Also, special thank you to London, England. Uh, you guys are our biggest listener of this week. So thank you. I've actually been to England once or twice, uh, well, once at one time. It was cool. I uh, saw some interesting things out there. We went by Stonehenge, and uh, I saw the White Cliffs of Dover because I took the big boat between London and um, between England and France, so that was cool. Uh, I spent like a day and a half in London, and then we went to France for like a day and a half, and then we flew back to America. So thank you, London. We appreciate it, uh, and we will see you all next time. Bye.